Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Well, good morning. Welcome to all of our campuses, Prosper McKinney, Frisco West, Frisco East, all of you online. So good to see you. Happy Mother's Day. Can we give all the moms one more uh, thank you? So grateful. So grateful for my mom. Melissa, who, who mothered our four kids, and the reason they're great is because of her. Um, so grateful for all of you. And, and uh, our guest speaker is going to talk a little bit more about that, and I'll let her do that. Uh, but before I, we dive into that, um, men's conference this past Friday night, if you were able to come to that men's conference, holy cow, unbelievable. This place was packed with guys and Tony Evans. Uh, Carlos Whitaker, Jared Lopes, every one of them did phenomenal. We're going to ask Tony to be our pastor here <laughs> at Hope. He is unbelievable. Holy cow. All of them. So, uh, guys, thank you for coming, but also thank you for those who work behind the scenes to make it all happen. We had a lot of ladies involved in behind the scenes, getting, making sure everything was done and, and uh, the tech, the worship, the creative, the video, all of those guys and, and ladies that help us, thank you uh, for doing that. Well, every once in a while, we have a, a guest speaker, not very often here at Hope, but every once in a while, usually we have one of our campus pastors or, or somebody on our team, but every once in a while, I like to introduce you to special speakers or, or um, uh, people who will teach us outside of our team, hearing voices and other voices is good. So uh, there are times in which we'll have a guest speaker and they do a great job and there's, uh, that's that. They come and they teach and then they go. But there are other guest speakers that come and they feel like family immediately. You know, you, know, you meet those people? Well, Vivian Mabuni is gonna be speaking today and immediately when I got the text last night uh, from Angela just saying, Vivian is awesome. She, I mean, she is hope all over. I mean, then I'm getting texts all, all this morning after the message saying, oh, she's awesome. Can she be our pastor? You know, it's like, golly. But, um, no, I'm kidding. Nobody said that. So don't get any ideas. But the, 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 the joy for, for me when I'm sitting down with somebody and there is just like this family type of deal it is awesome. Her lovely daughter, Julia, came with her, and uh, we just love this family. And you, let me just tell you, you open your hearts. If you don't know Vivian already, you need to go look her up. She's spoken at conferences all over the nation. Uh, she's written uh, books. She's, she's an author. She uh, is written for version. Many of us use that. All sorts of stuff. God is using her in big ways, and she has a an awesome message for you. So I want you to open your hearts and across all of our campuses, I want you to give our new friend and family member, Vivian, a huge Hope Fellowship welcome, would you? Thank I love you. you. So you, glad John. you're here. You're awesome. Well, happy Mother's Day. It really is an honor. My daughter and I uh, flew in from Southern California. We live in Mission Viejo, which is between LA and San Diego. We Californians are overtaking your state, and we apologize. <laughs> but boy, my daughter's first time in Dallas and in the state of Texas, and so the first place I took her was to Torchy's Tacos. 
and uh, the queso is really unmatched. And then last night after Saturday service, uh, Angela took us to Bavette Grill, and I'm telling you, I won't need to eat for another week because it was just so phenomenal. And so we have just loved our time here, and it really does feel like family. Um, thank you so much for so warmly welcoming us. Uh, at Hope Fellowship, I feel like there's just a few degrees of separation, and so it's been really fun to meet so many of you. And uh, thank you also for the food recommendations. Um, I guess we'll just have to come back, and Tony Evans and I will just take over. <laughs> Well, I do have uh, two sons and a daughter, and when my middle son, Michael, was in preschool, I was picking him up, and he got in the car, and he said to me, he goes, Mom, one of the girls got put in timeout today. She said a bad word. I'm like, oh. So we're driving along, and from his car seat, I hear, shh, t. <laughs> Buddy, do you know that word? Do you know what it means? Silence. So we're driving along, and I'm thinking, okay, I need to think about every parenting book I've ever read, every, every anything. Like, I feel like parenting is always like, here we are, um, never been here before, <laughs> always, always dependent. So I sat there and kind of decided, okay, it's just best to be honest. I want my kids to know that they can talk to me about anything at any point. So I just kind of gripped the steering wheel a little bit tighter, and I said, buddy, the word is, and I said the S word, I said, it means poop, and it is not a kind way to say poop, and so that's why your friend got put in timeout. Silence. Driving along a little further, I hear from the back seat, shh, t up. Mother of the year. <laughs> so it is, it's Mother's Day. Mother's Day is not in the Bible. <laughs> um, it is a, a time of celebration, and, and moms are really amazing. I think about raising young kids and constantly having crusty fluids on my shoulders, um, late nights, a lot of um, challenging times. But I also think... Mother's Day can be a very challenging time for people as well. And my heart has been extremely tender in preparing for this time, thinking about um, many people in my mind. I think last week was Infertility Awareness Week. I've had many friends who have walked the road of infertility. And some of you may be walking that road as well. And some choose not to attend on Mother's Day because it is so painful. I think about the complexity of blended families and stepmoms and trying to bring together new relationships, and that can be really challenging. I think about adoptive moms and foster moms. I think about women who are single, who thought that they would at this point in their life be moms, and that's not been part of their story. I think especially about my friends who um, they had lost their moms in this past year, and this first Mother's Day is particularly painful. And I'm just grateful that you're here. I'm grateful that you're here, that you're listening, that you're showing up. Some of you uh, are not religious, and you still came because that's what your mom wanted. And so here you are. <laughs> and uh, I just 
believe with all my heart that there are no accidents. Nothing is an accident. And that I'm sitting here with you this Sunday, that you're sitting in your seats, is not an accident. My husband and I have been on staff with Crew for 33 years, formerly Campus Crusade for Christ, and we've led numbers of students on international and stateside missions. We heard the story about a student from Texas, and she was helping to lead a team into eastern Germany, and she was sitting on a bench in Frankfurt, Germany. She was waiting for her team, picking up their last-minute supplies, and so she was just waiting there, and this woman walks by, stops, looks at her and says, I think I know you. And this woman had an Australian accent. And so they compared notes. Student had never been to Australia. Australian woman had never been to Texas. And so finally the student says, I think you really have me confused with someone. She goes, no, I really think I know you. And then she stopped and said, wait, were you in Hawaii last summer? And this college student had been on a crew summer mission in Hawaii This Australian woman had been vacationing, and so she said to the student, you walked up to me on the beach. You shared with me this little booklet about how I could know God personally. I've been thinking about it ever since. Eight billion people? Can you even believe all the circumstances for them to meet in Frankfurt, Germany? in that moment and the summer before. So I believe that there are no accidents, and I'm glad that you're here this morning. I want you to get to know me a little bit better. I grew up in Boulder, Colorado. Boulder is um, kind of like Austin or Portland or Berkeley, like all the really weird (laughs) cities. Um, The air is scented here in Boulder with pine trees and marijuana. And I grew up culturally Buddhist, and by that I mean that we participated in festivals where we would burn incense and offer food to dead relatives I'd never met before, kind of like the cartoon Coco or Mulan. Um, It was cultural in that it never intersected my day-to-day life, just culturally Buddhist. And then in high school, I sat next to a friend, and she uh, started glowing in my math class, and I was just looking at her, and I just said, what happened to you? Did you become a vegetarian? (laughs) And she goes, oh, no, I became a Christian. I'm like, really? What, you go to church now or something? And she goes, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I went, oh, no, (laughs) because she was smart. And funny, and I just couldn't believe that she would be duped into believing about, like, this mythology about Jesus and the Bible. But I sat next to her day after day, and it was undeniable that God was real in her life. And that set me on a spiritual journey, and I began to learn about the same God that my friend knew. And I learned that this God loved me. And I learned that I was separated from God because of sin. And I'd always understood sin to be doing wrong things, but I learned that sin is also knowing the right thing to do and not doing it. And so all people, including me, had sin and was separated from God. And then I learned that Jesus 
died to pay the penalty of my sin, my separation from God. And I, when I heard that, I thought, yes, I want this relationship with God. So I put my trust, my faith in Jesus, and then I started to try to do all the external things that I saw around me to try to be a Christian. So I drove myself to the mall, bought a Bible, tried to read it, and it was very boring. There are a lot of measurements in the Bible, <laughs> a lot of kings and people who begat so-and-so, and just it wasn't intersecting in my life. And I tried praying, and I would fall asleep, and, and pretty soon I just concluded, you know, this, this God stuff is just another phase I'm going through. You know, this band, this perfume, now God. And so I was pretty much ready to ditch the whole thing. And then my dad goes through midlife crisis. And he decides right before my senior year of high school to move our family from Boulder, Colorado to Hong Kong. Oh, yes. They dragged me all the way to Hong Kong. I was so mad at God. I could not understand a word of what was being spoken. And I remember sitting on my little bed in our little flat in Hong Kong, and I just raged. And I let God hear all of my frustration and anger. And at the end of that very honest prayer, I said, God, in my heart of hearts, I want to know you. But I need a church. I need a youth group. I need some Christian friends. And if you do that, I'll give you my whole life. I will hold nothing back. Otherwise, I'm going to go out and get drunk and do something I'll probably regret, but I'm never talking to you again. And wouldn't you know, God came through in Hong Kong. And I learned that God is not an American Jesus never spoke a word of English all of his days walking the earth. Uh, heaven is not going to be a never-ending Hillsong concert. <laughs> and I think it's good for us to remember that, that we are part of a link in a chain, and we are part of something so much greater. God is so big. And that decision for me, I followed through on my part. I said, I am all in. I will go wherever you lead me. That decision made all the difference. With my surrendered heart, all of a sudden the Bible started to make sense. Prayers were being answered. God's spirit was able to be unleashed to work in my life. And this posture of open hands being that God could put things in my life and he could also take things away. And a heart posture of just being willing that has been one that marked me in Hong Kong and has been one that I continue to have to re-up as life gets complicated. Now, some of you may be feeling a little bit worried, a little bit unseen. Some of you may be in a time when you are feeling lost and having confusion. For those of you who are on a spiritual journey, I want to encourage you, don't miss Jesus. Christians can be really weird. We really are. And in these days, sometimes Christians can be really cruel to even one another. Don't miss Jesus. I love the purpose of Hope Fellowship. It is to invite everyone to find Jesus and move to the center of God's purpose for their lives. And this is a 
we continue to need to hear the gospel in our hearts. And this decision to continue to live surrendered is one that we re-up over and over. So if you're feeling in particular this morning a little bit confused and unseen, I want to introduce to you someone in the Bible that I really love. Turn with me to Genesis 16. We're going to be looking at the story of Hagar. Um, Hagar is part of Abraham and Sarah's story. When you hear Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Abraham, the father of her faith, the patriarch, um, God had promised Abraham that he would have descendants that would outnumber the stars and the sand on the seashore. And he was called by God to leave his, his home and go and travel out, out of it, and, he, and Abraham obeyed. And all along, Sarah was unable to have children. So one of the little detours that happened in Genesis 12 is that there was a famine that came across the land. And so when they escaped to Egypt, um, Sarah, beautiful wife, Abraham told her to lie because he didn't want um, anything to happen, you know, to Abraham to be killed because of a beautiful wife. So he says, just say that I'm, just say that you're my sister. And so uh, Sarah, being so beautiful, Pharaoh saw her and wanted to gain favor with Abraham. In chapter 12, it says, for her sake, Sarah, he dealt well with Abraham, Pharaoh did. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys and camels that were gifted to Abraham. So it's likely that Hagar kind of joined the entourage in chapter 12, all right? And then in chapter 16, 10 years have gone by, and Sarah has still not been able to get pregnant. Having heirs was so important, especially in those times. It's kind of like those of you that watched Downton Abbey with the Crowleys, season one. It's like the Crowleys times 15. You know, it's like this is very, very very serious. And so Sarah, chapter 16, verse 1, Abraham's wife had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abraham, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So take my, take Hagar, take my servant and have her become pregnant with you. And then through her, maybe the descendants will come. It's important to understand that Hagar is an enslaved Egyptian. And, and words matter because when we think of someone as a slave, that's not true. As someone who was a slave in the U.S. from Africa, they weren't a slave. They were enslaved, but they actually, if had not that situation took, taken place, they could have been inventors and doctors and artists, but they were enslaved. We don't know Hagar's situation and how she got into the situation that she was in, but she was an Egyptian who was enslaved. And language matters because people, all people, are made in the image of God. And so even for a modern-day example, um, when we have undocumented people and refer to them as illegals, that can be a very dehumanizing term. When you think about being illegal, it means to break the law. 
And if that's the case, then all of us are illegals because all of us break the law. And I've been on the roads here in Dallas, and you guys drive like we drive in California. So all of us then would be illegals. But that terminology is very dehumanizing. What's more accurate is undocumented. What's more accurate than slave is to be enslaved. So Hagar was enslaved. So what happens is Hagar actually gets pregnant. And in that, for the very first time, she has a little bit of power, a little bit of leverage. And so she, it says in here, looked, began to look, on, look with contempt on Sarah. And Sarah got really upset about that. So she talks to Abraham about that. And Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So Sarah dealt so harshly with Hagar that Hagar was willing to run away. This is mind-boggling to me as a pregnant person to run away. And what it looks like is that from the, based on chapter 16, where Hagar was, it looked like she was returning back to Egypt. And it was probably, she was probably on the run for about a week. And when I think about what it's like to be pregnant, it's been said in um, What to Expect When You're Expecting That. The, women, the reason why women are so tired is because you're like climbing a mountain every day to, to make a baby. And I can attest to that. When we were pregnant with Jonathan, I didn't realize it at the time. And I was like, I can't make the bed, Darren. I think I have mono. It's like this fatigue is deep and real. And here Hagar, alone, hungry, is running for her life. And I wonder what was going through her mind. And I wonder if she felt like God was distant and far away. Our family... Uh, walked through a time of difficulty many years back when the kids were all in school. Julie was only six, six years old at the time. I had found a lump in my breast and asked my doctor about it. She wasn't worried, so she said, you know, I'm not worried about it, but go ahead. I'll just go ahead and give you a diagnostic mammogram just in case. So I went in to get a mammogram, and that turned into the mammogram, which turned into an ultrasound, which turned into a core biopsy. And the doctor said, it's not looking good, but we really need to, to make sure, so we'll get these test results back to you um, at the beginning of the week. And so we went into this weekend, and it rained in Southern California. It never rains in Southern California, but it was raining so hard that it, it just felt like everything in my heart, if I'm really honest. And we went through uh, the weekend, my husband and I were having a fight because I wanted Christmas magic, and this was reality, and the difference between expectation and reality is called disappointment. <laughs> we were having conflict on that, that Monday, but what I was really anxious about was this doctor's call. So I finally got the call Monday afternoon, and I took the call in the garage in my car. And I kind of called my car my office because that's where I would go and nap when the kids were young. <laughs> I had snacks there, you know, so very comfortable in my office. But I took the call in my car, and the doctor said, I'm sorry, you have invasive lobular carcinoma. 
Those were three words I had never heard before. And I said, excuse me, what? She goes, I'm sorry, you have breast cancer. We need to get you in to see a nurse practitioner immediately. Hung up the phone, and my husband walked out into the garage. And uh, he looked at me, and I got out of the car. I told him, it's cancer. The doctor says it's cancer. It just burst out into tears, sobbing in his T-shirt. And he just put his arms around me, and he, he just prayed. Really simple. God, we're scared. We don't know what to do, but we want to trust you. Help us to know that you're here. Help us to know that you're with us. And as he finished praying, we have these little garage door windows on our garage. And just as he finished praying and saying amen, this sunbeam fell right where we stood. And it was almost like God was saying, I'm here. I'm with you. And though life didn't look like how we thought it would be, we experienced his presence and his closeness during a really dark time. And we walked through surgeries and chemotherapy and losing all my hair and radiation. And I'm grateful to say today that I'm still in remission and thankful for every day. Every milestone matters, and that we are here matters. That you and I still have a heart that beats and air that fills our lungs means that we are still on assignment, and it matters. Now, the next thing that happens is pretty extraordinary. Verse 13, or verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? Now, many Bible scholars believe that this is a theophany, which is like a pre-incarnate um, presence of God that comes to us on earth. Same thing that happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel when they were thrown into the fiery furnace. And when they looked inside, there were four people walking around another theophany. So here, the Lord found Hagar. He calls her by name. Hagar, servant of Sarah. He knows her situation. If you notice, right before that, on the first six verses of this chapter, when Abraham and Sarah refer to Hagar, they don't ever say her name. They just say, your servant, my servant, your servant. God knew Hagar's name. He knows our name. He knows how many hairs are on our head. He says, where are you going? You're and then the angel of the Lord said, all of this other stuff that Hagar needed to hear, you're going to have a son. This will be his name. And then 13, verse 13 happens. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. The Hebrew is El Roy. You are the God who sees me. Now, Hagar is the only person in the Bible to actually give God a name. Most of the time, God just reveals who he is to the prophets. But Hagar names God, and God receives that. This is so significant to me as a woman because 
that during the time of the Bible, women did not have any rights, were considered property, could not give testimony in a court of law. But when I see this interaction, that the most unlikely person, societally, at the bottom of the barrel, would have a one-on-one conversation with the God of the universe, that is so powerful. And I think about Jesus and how good he was to women, that he appeared to women first when he was resurrected. Jesus was good to women. And God knew Hagar, talked to her one-on-one, encouraged her, and, and Hagar names him the God who sees. Life does not always go as we plan. Many of you are familiar with Psalm 23. It reads, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me beside paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. David is the one who pens this. He had been a shepherd before he became king. What I find so significant about this particular psalm is that the words David uses changes from he makes me lie down, he leads, he restores, he leads, and he switches to you, your rod, your staff, You are with me. You prepare. And he becomes you in the valley of the shadow of death. Something happens when we go through the hardest times where our head knowledge of who God is transfers to our heart. And what happens here, as David explains, is that we can have this cognitive understanding of all these things that he is, but he becomes you when we are in a place of hardship. God is always at work, and he's at work in ways that we often do not see and do not understand. A younger sister, I have a younger sister, and uh, she was the first person I tried to share my faith with after I became a Christian, and I just said, Claire, you know this empty spot in my heart. It's not a boyfriend I need. It's God, and you need to ask Jesus into your heart. And she was like, okay. <laughs> so as much as she understood, she tried, tried to do that. But when we moved to Hong Kong, her faith, like mine, became real. And for, for some odd reason, God placed the country of Albania on my sister's heart as a teenager, and she began to pray for Albania. Now, I am seriously directionally challenged, so no idea where Albania was. Albania... Southeast Europe, a small country of 2.3 million people. And in 1967, the dictator of Albania declared Albania the world's first atheist state. My sister was praying huge, God-sized prayers in the shower and outside the shower because she had the shower curtains of the world with all this Sharpie scribbled on there. She prayed for doors to open for the gospel to enter this closed country. 
She prayed for remote villages inaccessible to outsiders. She prayed for Albanian nationals to join staff and generations of multiplying discipleship. She prayed Albania would one day be a sending nation to the Muslim world. And these prayers made no sense because the country was completely locked to the outside world. The communist regime fell in 1992. And for the first time, crew was able to go in and take summer teams of college students. And so my sister was in college, and she applied for that very first summer mission to Albania. She got accepted. All of her financial support came in. She got all the immunizations, her passport. She was ready to go, and she went with such high hopes for this country that she had prayed for and bathed in prayer for years. She had the worst summer of her life, the worst. The government was unstable, had economic crisis, so there was nights that she went to bed hungry. There were swarms of insects that attacked her, illness, all the things that could go wrong did go wrong. And there's an Albanian woman named Alma who was their translator. And as they traveled to the southern part of Albania for the second part of the summer, Um, Alma continued with my sister. And at the end of the summer, nothing had happened. The spiritual ground was rock hard. And for all of the prayers and the money that was raised and all of the effort, there was nothing to show. And my sister returned to the U.S. dejected and depressed. She carried parasites in her intestines. Seven Years later, we have a crew summer um, staff training, about 5,000 staff that gather together every other year. And there, at that staff training, the first Albanian national was introduced, Alma. And when Alma explained who had led her to Christ, she said it was my sister. And my sister had no idea. They got together and almost shared that she had discipled hundreds of women, that Albanian nationals had joined staff, teams were showing the Jesus film in obscure mountain villages. Albania became a sending nation to the Muslim world, sending teams to neighboring Turkey and beyond. 96% of the people in this country have had opportunities to hear the gospel. How kind of the Lord to allow my sister to hear how it all fit together. But you and I, we may not see exactly how our giving and our showing up and our driving carpool and our doing all the things for all the people make a difference, but one day we will. One day we will. We don't see the end of the story. God sees you. God is El Roy. He sees you in your circumstance. He sees you if you are sitting on a small bed in the middle of Hong Kong or in a garage or wiping counters and wiping bottoms. He sees you. He knows your situation. He's always at work. Let's pray. Father, thank you. 
Thank you for Hope Fellowship. I pray your blessing on this church, your continued blessing. And I pray that out of this church, you would continue to raise up men and women and children and teens and um, just world changers, Lord. Bless and move through um, the relationships to be bright light and salt in this community and far beyond. I thank you that you're here. I thank you that you see us. I thank you that there is hope in you. And I thank you for your love. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. Thanks for listening to Hope's Weekend Message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.